Thanks again for being here. Just a little update on church family news. Jay just mentioned about our baptism, two weeks. Again, we'd love to, if you have recently come to Christ or maybe a long time ago that happened, but you've never followed in believer's baptism by immersion, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. If you fill that card out, you could just drop it off at the information table. If you miss the offering bag or call into the church office, love to have you involved. Two weeks, that's two weeks from this Sunday, we're going to have a great time together. Also, just an update, we're excited about what's happening in Paulding. Um, Craig Marcy is there this morning taking over and uh, Dalton's with him. And so we're excited about Paulding. And then also there's Northwood that's happening. It looks like we're going to call Northwood Grace Point, one word, will be the name of that church. We can't use Grace Community because there's another church like a mile away that's using that name. And uh, really excited about that. As some of you know, we, we will be launching that in March. We will soft launch in February. And we really want some of you to be praying about maybe going there to Northwood for a year or two to help us launch that church and be with Harold. Some, some of our sermons will be piped in. A lot of times he'll be preaching. But especially if you live on that side if you are from Gibsonburg or Elmore or Genoa or Toledo, if you're living that way, that you would consider doing that, just think about that. We'll have some informational meetings or at least a meeting in February that we'll be letting you know about once Harold gets here on the 5th. But uh, we're very excited about the potential that we have to, to spread the gospel in that area of Toledo. So just update you on those things. We're pumped about it. We're in a series... 10 degrees hotter. We've talked about prayer and the Bible. We also talked last time about the Bible. Some, in every culture, there's something in the Bible that offends people. And if you, if you were thinking last week, I don't really feel like that. I could probably throw out some topics that might change your mind. And this could be one of those topics that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about money. A lot of times we don't talk about money. I think people appreciate that about grace, but... Jesus talked about money a lot, especially in Luke, if you go through that, just he, he talked about it a lot, and it would really be, not be good for us to, it'd be artificial for us to not talk about money. It's just part of what God is teaching us about life. I believe that it's such an issue that, that I really believe that until you allow God to be an authority over you in this area, money, you can never be a mature disciple. We're going to look at a parable that's an intriguing parable, maybe one of the hardest for people to understand. I've been wondering, why did I pick this? Or so much about money, why did I pick this difficult parable? Because I just felt like doing it. So that's where we're at. I'd like you to turn to Luke 16, or go to your mobile device. Go to Luke 16. We're going to begin in verse 1. And I want to share with you a, a parable that, that Jesus shared. Beginning right now, he says. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. 
manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm ashamed to beg, I know what, I'll, what I shall do. So that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors and began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of, of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little, in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were sitting, listening to these things, and they were scoffing him. So we have this parable, and, and what's unique about this parable is, why would the manager be praised by the owner? That, that's what doesn't set well with us, right? Okay, it sounds like the manager's doing something crooked here, and then the owner, when he finds out, praises him. And, and some people think, well, it just stands that way because maybe the owner's not so righteous himself, although there's really, most parables, there's not two evil people that star in the parable, so that's very unlikely. A lot of people point out that it could be that the, the bill that these people own, that 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 was a reflection of the amount they owed plus interest, and it was against the Jewish law to charge interest, and so he was taking that interest away, and that might have been more of the manager's doing than the owner's. Or it could have been that the manager had his own cut, his own commission on top of what was owed, and so he, he realizes he's not going to be in this position to receive this money anyway, so he cuts his commission out to change their bill before he leaves, and, and the, then in that case, the master really hasn't lost anything. And that, to me, may be the most likely because there's reasons for that. Because later in the parable when he says, welcome me into their house, that's an idiom sometimes for employment. Well, that would be the way that other people would want to employ him because it doesn't seem like other people want to employ him if they knew that he cheated his master in reducing their bill, if that makes sense. But anyway, it doesn't really matter because Jesus is telling us the point of the parable. And he's basically saying this, that we are stewards, that we are managers. He taught that we, all of us, are managers of money that is not ours. We don't like to hear that 
Because we say, whoa, Kevin, I worked hard for my money. I, I, I've worked all my life to accumulate what I have. But Jesus is pointing out to us, no, the money you have really is God's. And, and you're just a steward of it. Because when you say, hey, this is my money, I've worked hard for it, hey, I, I own this, that's what God can say about us, right? He created us. He owns us. We are actually his, even though we don't always look at it that way. And let's, let's think about that for a moment. And maybe not everybody here is even convinced there is a God, so let me just say it this way. If there is a God, and he is our creator then what the implication, and there is, but the implication of that is that how are we working to accumulate money? Well, we're doing it with the life that God gave us. We're doing it with the health that God gave us. We're doing it with the ability that God gave us. That's what I'm talking about. If there's a God, we are his. He is owned by us, and, and everything we have really is his. Of course, we don't naturally think like that. I've slightly under the weather the last couple of days, and, and I think sometimes when we get sick or when we get real sick, we'll think, well, why is this happening to me? Something serious, a serious illness. God, why me? But really, we live in a fallen world that's unraveling. I mean, everything's coming apart. Because of sin, the world is not doing well. And, and if you were to talk to a doctor like Dr. Peters or, or Dr. Clark, probably they'd be able to tell you the thousand things or more that have to be going well for us to just show up at church today, right? I mean, there's a thousand things that could not be going well that we would be laying in bed at home or worse, in the hospital. It's, it's all God's. It's all his. We really owe him everything. And some people say, well, I don't know. It just seems like I've worked harder than other people. And so, it, you know, that's where I got. That's why I have something that they don't. But here's another way of thinking about it. What if you were born on a mountain, in a remote mountain in northern Thailand? You could work harder than you're working now and still have nothing, right? If you were born in a different place and a different time too, perhaps, you could work way harder than you've ever worked in your life and still have nothing. Maybe just struggle to feed yourself. That's what I'm talking about. It's God that's put you here. It's God that's given you this place here. There's, here's the way David looked at it as he was... Uh, bringing offerings to the temple. Here's part of his prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, both riches and honor come from you. He's praying to God. And you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people 
that we should be able to offer as generously as this. For all things come from you. And from your hand we have given you. He's saying, hey, anything we have you've already given us. So we give you back some of it. Who are we that you would even bless us to have the ability to give back? Anything you have is a gift from God. God doesn't give up ownership when it's given to you. It's still his. He still retains ownership. We are the managers. We take care of it. And Jesus wants us to see this in our life. And God expects us to use that as his manager would use it. We, we want to take what God has given us and use it in a way that pleases God. The problem with that is, when it comes to money, is that we are all blind to our own greed. Even saying greed, it's like, whoa, that sounds kind of heavy. Jesus, for example, said, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Beware, be on your guard. Why is Jesus emphasizing this? Because greed, I believe, is different than every other sin. In that, it, think, of all sin, think of the Ten Commandments, sin, whatever, adultery. You're never committing adultery. Nobody commits adultery and then they go, oh, whoa, you're not my wife. How did that happen? You know, they know. What Jesus is telling us with greed is we don't know. And the reason we don't know is because we always look at other people and we compare ourselves to others and what they have and what they're doing. And so, and there's always people that have more than us. And so we always feel like this is not an issue that I have been counseling for 30 years almost. Never one time, people come in and will talk about the, all kinds of problems in their lives. Not one time have I ever had somebody come in and say, Kevin, I think I have a problem with greed. Never. Why? Because we are blind to it. That's what, that's what Jesus is trying to tell us here on all this talk about money, that we are blind to it. That we cannot, this is a sin that we can only see in others and we cannot see in ourselves. Anytime we see somebody that makes more than us, that seems to be a little stingy, we point and we say, that's greed. Just like people who make less than us point to us. We're always doing this comparison thing. Secondly, Jesus taught us to invest in what lasts. The steward is commended. That's the surprising part of the whole deal. He's, he's praised. And this word for praised, by the way, very strong word. It, it's only for something good. So he's praised by the manager. 
And the reason he's praised is Jesus is saying, hey, non-Christians in the secular world are more wise in how they use their money than the children of light. Than we Christians are, is what Jesus is teaching. Notice verse 9. He said, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Kind of interesting, because on the surface, this seems to be saying, well, hey, this guy made, you know, he made some guys very happy so that they would have a friendship, they would kind of owe him, and things would go well for him. And Jesus saying, hey, these unrighteous people are smarter in the use of wealth than the children of light. And this kind of sounds like, on the surface, oh, then we should just make friends and maybe try to influence people by the use of money. And that could be. But he's saying something more than that. He's saying, and they will welcome you, these friends, into eternal dwellings. What's he talking about there? He's talking about leveraging our resources for the gospel so that people become believers and they end up in heaven. And there are many of you that someday you'll be in heaven and you'll be received and welcomed by people that you impacted through your gifts that you don't even know. Those are the friends that will welcome you into eternal dwellings. If you are a person that invests in the gospel, gives, that will happen for you. People will come up. We don't know how all that ties together. In heaven we will. And they'll be thanking you that God used you for investing in the gospel. We try to help people any way we can. Here at Grace, we help people with, with food and aid. But we try to do it in a way that the gospel gets traction in their life. We don't just want to help them with food and, and, and a, a bill that they're behind. We want to do that. But when people keep coming back that are not, if they're from our church family, come back a thousand times, it doesn't matter. But people from the community, we keep inviting them to church. And our whole goal is that we have something way better for you than a payment for an electric bill or some food for your cupboards. We'll gladly give you that, but we want the gospel to get traction in their life. That's the whole point. That's the best thing. That's the most treasured thing that we can give them. It is not just this temporary help for the physical needs, and we'll do that, that their spiritual needs that are even greater. It's a lot easier to see this in other countries. For example, Thailand and Africa, we support orphans. In Africa, we do it through the church, which is probably the best way. In Thailand, we're fully supporting two orphanages. And right now, our kids are, are getting older where they'll start graduating, and we'll try to launch them, and then we'll be getting younger kids in. We'll always kind of keep that... 50-something children in the two orphanages going with house parents. But a shift has happened. One of our longest-serving house parent couple, which is Pastor Boone and his wife Nong, are shifting their ministry into full-time evangelism. So they were talking to us about doing this. And he's, he's the guy that's always been taking the kids at least once a month, takes them up into the hills to evangelize. And the kids sing and... They feed the, the village uh, 
a roasted pig or something, and then he shares the gospel. He's got a real heart for this. He's trained as a pastor. And so we were able to say, well, we'll support you. We can support Boone full time, 100% of his support to be an evangelist in Thailand. He knows the language, trained as a pastor, $3,000 a year. A year. It's just crazy. When you're in a, a world like that, then all of a sudden, taking a food, that's what we do that with tutus sometimes, with the refugees. We've talked about them before on the Burma, Thailand, Burma border. And uh, it gives a hearing of the gospel. It's way more effective than helping people financially here stateside because they're so much more desperate. I mean, it's life and death. And they can't understand why somebody on the other side of the world wants to help this guy feed his family and just gives and gives and gives. And of course, we do that through boots on the ground, like Tutu. It impacts them because they can't figure it out because they're from a part of the world where that doesn't make any sense. And that's the most important thing. That's why we do it. It's great to feed people. We want to do that. Christians always should be interested in that. But there's even a bigger issue. We want to always leverage that help for Jesus, for the gospel, for how we can help them more. Third, Jesus taught that we're accountable for the use of our resources. Not just that we invest in the gospel, something that lasts, but we're accountable for all of our resources. You know, and... And we're talking about giving, but that also includes serving, right? Our time and our money. Jesus has designed this world and he has given us the church to invest our time and our money into. And we want everybody to be involved in that. Can I throw out a disclaimer? I'm not saying this because we're desperate for workers. We're actually not desperate for workers. I'm saying this because we have so many of you working already. I'm saying this that if you're not serving, you're missing something. You're missing something for you. You're missing something that God wants for you. That's partly why you're designed. He's engifted you. He's, he's made you into who you are here at Grace, if you're here as a believer, he has designed you to serve in the church. That's what the gifts are for. And, and if you're not serving, you're missing something. We want, it. we want this for you more than we want it from you. And so we have a whole class on this. We call it Class 301. And uh, it presents our ministry, the different areas places you can serve. We don't sign anybody up in there. We're not real aggressive with that. We don't want anybody walking out and feeling like they were railroaded into something. But it just presents all the, the different ministries, whether it's children's or sometimes temporary ministries like Upward or Greeting or Music, Impact Team, people who are here when you walk in, Youth, Grounds, just all these different areas where we can use people. We could use people that can paint. We could use people that can do just about anything. 
And so you could go there and find some of that information out. And then try something and see if you like it. The other great residual from that is if you're not well connected with other people at our church, if you're not in a Bible study or, or a class or already in a ministry, that connects you to people. And so another way to do it is just find some people you like and say, hey, how are you serving? Hey, I want to do what you're doing. I want to do that with you. Connect. Then there's also the money side of it. We're not talking about we finish the year very well. Well, maybe I should say well. We finished the year in the black. Good. Budget went well because of your generosity. So we're not talking about money because we're desperate for money. There's more we could do if we had more money. Every ministry can say that. Sure. As a matter of fact, some churches, they, well, let me just throw this out. There's the issue of tithing. So people kind of debate the tithing thing. The tithing, some of you don't know this, because this is all new to you, and tithing's a churchy word, and you're not even sure what it means. Here, this is it. Tithing simply means a tithe is a tenth. So you don't tithe 5% or 2%. A tithe just means 10%. So when people talk about tithing, they're talking about giving 10% of their income, they're talking about tithing to the church, to the church, 10%. And so some people will push back and say, well, Tithing, isn't that an Old Testament concept? It is. It's in the law. Although they had to pay more than that because there are all kinds of, not only their 10%, but all kinds of offerings that they had to take. So, yeah. Also, it's before the law. That's when Abraham gave to Melchizedek. So, but anyway, there's a debate today. Some people will push back. It really, I'm not dogmatic on where we land on this. Just a lot of Christians believe in tithing. Why is that? Well, it was showed up before the law. Abraham to Melchizedek. That's before, Abra uh, before Moses and Mount Sinai and the whole law thing. Jesus commends the tithe. If you'll remember, he's talking to some Pharisees and saying, you guys are tithing on every little penny, mint and dill, you know, little spices. But you've lacked mercy and justice. You should have done the latter without neglecting the former. So he's saying, hey, you should have done both. Although, again, during Jesus' ministry, they're still under the law. I mean, so some people might kind of push back that way a little bit. But not that it, it matters that much. One thing I'd just point out is never is there an Old Testament standard that's higher than a New Testament standard. We have God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. It's never less from our heart, it's actually always, it's always more. Let me just, of course this all comes, Malachi 3.10 is the big verse people talk about. Here's what it says, Old Testament says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Very unusual that God says, try me, test me, see what happens. What's weird is right before this, 
he said that the people had robbed him. You have robbed God. That's in the verse previous. That word for rob, by the way, very strong. Plundered, raped, pillaged. It's kind of how the word means. You've robbed God and we're going, wow. It's important to God, the whole thing on money. Here's another way of looking at it. What if I was to give you, what if I was to make a job offer to you? Here's the job offer. You're going to be the business manager, the financial manager for a wealthy person. And so every year he's going to give you a sum of money to invest. And then at the and he's a wealthy guy, so that's a big sum of money. And then at the end he says, "You know what? Keep 90% of that and just give me back 10%." Who's taking that job? That's a pretty good job, right? That's a pretty sweet deal. That's what God's saying. And so we're just saying this. Systematically giving back a portion of our income is a way to guard against greed. It's not foolproof. Pharisees showed us that. But if you can't systematically give a percentage of your income back to God, it may be that you're serving something above God. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't serve God and wealth. How do we know? How can we get it right? Do this. Because of that test thing, some churches do something, it's called a 90-day uh, tithing challenge. So kind of, a lot of churches have done this, which... We're happy to do that too. And here's what that means. It's kind of interesting. You commit 90 days to tithing on your income. For us, that would be now till Easter. Then at the end of that time, you tested God. And if you don't think that you're financially better off or that God's blessed you in some tangible way, you say, hey, that didn't work for me, and we give it back to you. And you have forced savings. <laughs> hey, woo! We're happy to do that. I'm not challenging everybody to do that. I don't care if it's 10% or 5%. We're talking about 10 degrees hotter, right? We're saying incrementally grow closer to God. Let's figure out how every area in our life we can be a little more passionate about God. Prayer, intaking the word of God, generosity. Let's come up with a plan that this year, 2017, we can be hotter, we can be more passionate for God. So if you want to take that challenge, here's the deal. You have to give in an identifiable way. If you come up to us 90 days later and say, hey, I gave about $10,000 and it was all in cash and I didn't mark anything. <laughs> that's probably not going to be good. So put your name on the envelope if you're giving in cash or just use a check. So we know who you are. And we'll do it. Please hear me. I'm not saying everybody should do this. 
not trying to guilt you, not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to come up with ways to give you an opportunity to take God at his word. And to, what we want for you, it, 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 we don't want from you money. What we want for you is that you would trust God in every single area of your life. Every area. That's what we want for you. And you can trust him. You can trust him with the most important thing, your eternal destiny. And if you've done that, God wants you to also invest in helping other people find him. That you can trust him with your wealth. We do not find security from money. Ultimately, our security, it's only in him. Wealth can vanish. It's just in God. And we want you to trust him in every single area of your life. First of all, and most importantly, we want you to trust him for your salvation. We're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to have a, a, an ending song, so I won't even stand you up yet. Let's just pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. Thanks for loving us, caring for us. God, it's an amazing thing that you are so generous, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. First of all, you gave your son to make us who are enemies of you reconcile to you, to adopt us as sons into your family. And God, we thank you for that greatest gift and we realize that you are our Lord. That anything that you've given us, it's just ours to manage. It's just ours temporarily. Ultimately, you still retain the ownership. You just allow us to have it and God, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to figure out some way in our life to make sure that we're not serving wealth more than we're serving you. God, give us the wisdom, and we pray that your spirit would impact our hearts to help us to figure out how to make sure that, that we can be passionate about following you, including being generous and handling our money in the way you would want us to. And God, thank you most of all for your son, the greatest gift of the universe. That he would come and voluntarily die for us. God, we thank you for him and what he's done for us. Most of all, in Christ's name we pray, amen.